Hello and welcome to the Europlex podcast. I am Ewan Healy and with me, of course, is my colleague and co-host Gabriel Hedengren. Gabriel, how are you doing this week? I'm good, thank you, Ewan. Things are going back to normal, sort of step by step. Obviously, there are some worries, but uh, definitely had an exciting week so far. But yeah, so I'm really looking forward to the summer. How about you? Yeah, I'm also doing well. Despite the fact that my city is the only place in my country, Scotland, that is still in the sort of harshest form of lockdown. Oh, yes. Um, because we have a, an outbreak of both normal COVID and the Indian variant. So things aren't perhaps as shipshape as you want them to be, but we're doing okay. The, the weather is getting better. We're looking forward to summer. It's going to be great. It's going to be great. Yeah, I won't go into the weather too much. It's, it's the British thing we always do at the start. But yeah, it's definitely not been very pleasant here in the in the uk the the past few weeks but anyway it'll it'll get better in this episode we have got a lot of exciting stuff to talk about as per usual in this episode we're joined by our cyprus correspondent yoris kokoris to learn a little bit more about the upcoming national parliamentary election a little bit more about the cypriot political system and that's all still to come after our news but first a little message on how you can support us and our headlines from across the continent EuropeLex is run by volunteers. We aren't funded by any big donors and everything we do, including this podcast, is only possible with the help of our supporters. And we always want to do more. We've started sharing exclusive discussions, special content, and much more via our Patreon. Access all that from as little as just one euro per month. So don't miss out. Support us by becoming a patron on Patreon. this week we have got some electoral news in the uk after the mammoth super thursday elections at the beginning of this month we had a follow-up election last week in the form of a national parliament by-election in the constituency of adrian Schotts in scotland now the seat was held by the pro-independent scottish national party since their landslide win in 2015 and was vacated by its mp neil gray to contest the corresponding constituency with mostly the same boundaries in the scottish parliament the regional parliament so he'd moved from the National Parliament to the Regional Parliament. In the Regional Parliament vote, Gray held a seat decisively for the SNP against a challenge from the centre-left Labour Party. The same was true in the National Parliament by-election. The SNP victory was never really in doubt, and the SNP's candidate, Anam Kaiser Javed, easily held the constituency with 46.4% of the vote to Labour's 38 This is actually a slight improvement on the SNP's vote share from 2019, but also an improvement on the Labour vote share in 2019, meaning the gap narrowed from 14 points to 8 points. This result was a weaker performance for the SNP compared to the corresponding Scottish Parliament constituency the week prior, although a much lower turnout and the lack of incumbency advantage makes it difficult to draw an exact or meaningful comparison. After holding the seat, the SNP now control 45 of Scotland's 59 seats in the House of Commons. That's 45 of the total 650 in the UK Parliament. If that wasn't exciting enough for you, we've actually got two more by-elections coming up this summer in the UK. A Labour defence in the Yorkshire region of Batley and Spen, where the incumbent has resigned due to being elected mayor last week. And a Conservative defence in the Southern English constituency of Chesham and Amersham, where the incumbent Conservative MP passed away earlier this year. Yeah, I'm always, um, as a Swede, or I guess most people from uh, more representative systems, one thing I am always jealous of is uh, the by-elections sort of trickling through from time to time. Yeah, absolutely. They're great fun. Horribly undemocratic, but fantastic (laughs) fun. And good for us, because it's more for us to report on. 
Anyway, moving on to Croatia. So in other electoral news, a green wave reached the Croatian capital of Zagreb on the 16th of May after the impressive victory of the environmentalist and leftist Tomislav Tomasevic, who gained 45% of the vote. The green left activists led the Mojemo coalition list, which will hold almost half of the 47 seats in the assembly of the city of Zagreb, while he entered the runoff mayoral race. So there'll be a second round for him to go through on the 30th of May, where he will meet Miroslav Škoro, the leader of the National Conservative Homeland Movement, who gathered 12% of the vote. Mojemo, so the Green Party, which lost the majority by just one seat, as it holds 23 seats, which is still 20 more than in 2017, will probably enter into an alliance with the centre-left SDP, which won five seats, so that gives them a majority. The success of the Green Left Coalition is so far limited to the capital region, with centre-right HDC showing good results in the first round of the rest of the local elections in the country. However, the death of Milan Bandic, the controversial long-serving mayor of Zagreb, earlier in the year, in combination with the outcome of the local elections, may bring political tensions in the country as a new political movement, which prioritises energy transition, anti-corruption, and opposes the privatisation of public services, rises to power in the nation's capital. It's also interesting, I guess, to see this green wave that we've seen in Europe over the past year or so, mainly uh, in local elections, but on the national level in some countries too, uh, entering this part of Europe. So definitely an interesting landmark election there in Zagreb. Yeah, absolutely. The urbanized sort of metropolitan cities of Central and Eastern Europe are seeing this kind of center-left or progressive movement. Um, we've seen that in a lot of different countries, and it'll be interesting to see what happens sort of next uh, for the green wave, whether it can the so-called green wave anyway, whether it can still maintain itself a little bit longer in different places. Speaking of elections on the sub-national level, the second round of the cantonal election for Neuchâtel, Switzerland, took place at the start of this month on the 9th of May. To decide the composition of the state council, essentially the canton's government, made up of five ministers who rotate the presidency. The Liberal Party, PLR, won three seats and now hold the majority, while the Social Democratic Party, which held the majority since 2014, won two seats. Six candidates had entered the state council election for the second round. The candidate of the Greens, Roby Schott, who had run on a joint ticket with a socialist ended up being the one left out without being elected. Liberals Alain Rebaud and Laurent Favre were re-elected and led in the votes. Socialist Florence Nater entered the cantonal executive in third place and socialist Laurent Kurth was re-elected with the fourth place with liberal candidate Crystal Graff elected in fifth. This election was first for Switzerland in gender representation during the first round in mid-April, which was held to elect the canton's legislature, the 115-seat Grand Council, 58% of those elected were women, the first time that this ever happened in a Swiss cantonal parliament. Until now, the record in female representation had been held by the Basel city canton, where 42% of the representatives elected in 2020 were women. It's interesting to note, of course, and many listeners will know this, it's one of my you know, fun facts about Switzerland, or not so fun facts, was that it was it's a nation that was relatively slow in achieving universal suffrage, which was established only on the federal level in 1971. And the last canton to introduce universal suffrage was Appenzell in Rhodes, one of the tiniest to only do it in 1990. So it's really interesting to see how perhaps there are some significant regional differences that still exist in uptake of universal suffrage and gender representation. 
And going from past to future elections, we have Cyprus, which is heading to the polls to elect a new national parliament on May 30th. So stick around with us, please. At the end of this episode, I'll be speaking to our colleague and Cyprus correspondent, Yorgos Kakouris, who will be able to give us all the necessary info and context ahead of the elections there. And there are more elections on the 30th of May, so not just in Cyprus and Croatia, as we already mentioned. There will also be a first batch of by-elections for the French national parliament, Citizens from four districts will head to the polls on that day, specifically the third district of Indre-et-Loire, the sixth district of Pas-de-Calais, the first district of Oise, and the 15th district of Paris. There will be a second batch of by-elections on June 20th, so stay posted for those. I think I could listen to a whole podcast where it's just you pronouncing places in France. (laughs) That was captivating. (laughs) In other news, ahead of the Moldovan National Parliament election on the 11th of July, not one that's talked about too much, a left-wing alliance between the former president's Igor Dodon's Party of Socialists and Vladimir Voronin's Party of Communists has been launched under the name of the Electoral Bloc of Communists and Socialists. Voronin and Dodon's United Front accused the incumbent president, Maya Sandu, of representing a menace to Moldova's independence, sovereignty and statehood. The Socialist Communist Alliance and Sandu's centre-right Action and Solidarity Party are the main contenders for the 11th of June election, a snap election that could, of course, define Moldova's place in European geopolitics for the next however long. And now to our favorite segment of the show, polling news. Uh, and we start with the Netherlands, where the left-wing and self-proclaimed anti-racist Bijuan rises to its highest result ever, with two seats in the latest pale seat projection. Moving on to Italy, and we see the continued meteoric rise of the Brothers of Italy, Fratelli d'Italia, reaching a new high of 19.5% in an SWG poll this week. In rounding up our highlights, we have yet another record high, this time in Germany, where Liberal FDP reached 12.5% in the latest INSA poll. It has been over a decade since the party polled this high, in January of 2010 to be exact. And if repeated in an election, this would be the party's best performance since 2009. So a centrist rise in Germany. Absolutely. And we've talked about king, centrist kingmakers across Europe for a long time, but FDP were really a trailblazer in that sense. And so we could be looking again at some more FDP kingmaking in this year's election. To wrap up our polling news for this week, the biggest political news across the continent this week that we couldn't do anything but mention is that the Europolex Instagram account hit 10,000 followers. If you aren't one of them, why not? Follow our Instagram at Europe underscore elects. Hey everyone, if you like this podcast and want to help us grow, be sure to subscribe and drop us a review on whatever platform it is you're listening to us on. And of course, tell your friends, your fellow political nerds all about us. That would mean the absolute world. We love making this podcast and we love it when you guys love it. So if you've got an idea for a segment, thoughts on a topic that we should be covering, or even if you just want to say hi to us, drop us an email, podcast at europolex.eu. Sunday, the 30th of May, Cypriots will be heading to the polls to elect 56 of the 80 members in its House of Representatives. With me to discuss and give us all a crash course in the country's electoral politics is our very own Cyprus correspondent, Yorgos Kakouris, who is also the Brussels correspondent for Alpha TV Cyprus, so you're not just ours. <laughs> but hi, Yorgos, and welcome to the podcast. Hi, glad to be here. Glad to hear how the magic is being done. 
yeah, so just for context, Yorgos was just sitting through the recording of, of our main section of the news. But seeing how the sausage is made. Yeah. yeah, seeing how the sausage is made at the Europe Legs podcast. But yeah, I'm very excited for you to be on. Obviously, the elections are coming up in Cyprus, and I definitely feel a lot of people probably don't know much about politics in the country and what these uh, elections really mean. So it's really useful to be able to go uh, through that with you. So back to basics, Cyprus is a unitary presidential representative republic, meaning that the directly elected president is both head of state and of government. Since 2013, this position has been held by Nikos Anastasiades, who previously led the center-right Democratic Rally Party. He's not hanging loose in this case, as he was re-elected in 2018 when he got 55% of the vote in a runoff against a left-wing candidate supported by the Progressive Party of Working People. So, Yorgos, can you explain, please, the role played by the parliament in Cyprus and what the stakes are for uh, President Anastasiades in these elections? What, what's the relationship between the executive and uh, parliament? First of all, what the parliament does is legislate. It approves or rejects uh, laws proposed by the government and also proposes laws and, of its own and passes them and also is uh, supposed to be the body that uh, passes, amends uh, the budget, which is uh, one of the main biggest things in secret uh, politics. So the, the issue with the parliament is that it really doesn't form a government in the way that you uh, will know it in the rest of the European countries. There's no prime minister. Uh, so at the end of the day, it doesn't directly affect government formation. It doesn't directly affect who gets to be a minister in the government and the cabinet, etc. But what it does affect is the tendencies and the trends ahead of the presidential election, which always happens at two years after the legislative election. And so it functions a bit, the legislative election, as a sort of midterm on how the uh, government has been doing. And at the same time, it gives indications for the upcoming elections regarding who will ally with who to support a candidate uh, for the presidency. Now, when it comes to what Anastasiadis has to wait and see from this election, he's there are no term limits for the presidency uh, right now, so he could technically run again, uh, but he's likely not going to uh, do it right now. So Anastasiadis himself is not dependent on re-election on this election, but the party itself, BC, uh, the Democratic Rally is watching this closely in order to see whether they will be able to field in, uh, a candidate in the elections, whether they have enough of support to get this candidate elected. And also Akiel and Vico, uh, which are in the position right now, are watching closely, counting their beans and their numbers and their percentages ahead of this election to see whether they'll be able to uh, successfully uh, change uh, the governing party in the last, next election in two years. So we've seen a lot of um, alliances between Akiel and Vico and, and other parties signaling uh, some sort of alliance in 2023. The most prominent case of this alliance was the budget that was rejected for the first time in the history of the Republic um, at the beginning of this year because uh, Vico decided to not vote for it. Until now, Vico had been supporting this when it came to the economy and the budget and helped it pass uh, legislation. But in the past few years, uh, because of several disagreements, there's been, there's been more of a contentious relationship. So in, um, in summary, what we're looking for in this election is 
really how the situation is going to play out looking ahead to the election in 2023. But also what we're looking at is whether the parliament will be able to pass legislation and pass budgets or whether it's going to be more fractured than usually uh, leading to much more multidimensional attempts yeah. at coalition building, uh, depending on the issue. So has um, has the current president, has he had a strong alliance in parliament in terms of getting the budget passed up until the crisis you mentioned? Well, up until then, this he had been able to pass uh, the um, the budgets and legislation uh, to reform the economy and to pass reforms that were needed after the uh, 2013 crisis mainly with the support of Vico. There were enough MPs to uh, to do this properly. Uh, the main thing that affected the relations between uh, VC and Vico uh, in, these, uh, in this past year uh, or so was the ongoing scandals regarding the, uh, the passport scheme, the golden passport scheme, which was really a uh, an abuse of the um, of the passport for investment scheme that's you can find in many other countries, but it was seen to be abused by the by many people connected to the government and not. Vico is trying to bank into the whole scandal that really blew out of proportion after the uh, Al Jazeera documentary on the passport scheme by presenting itself as an anti-corruption party, which was the immediate reason behind the budget crisis. And just um, to back up a little bit for mm. our listeners, um, you mentioned here Dico as being at the at the center of of this political um, drama, so to speak. Can you just give a very brief explanation of Dico, sort of what is its ideology and its sort of place in the electoral map of Cyprus? So it's called the Democratic Party, I guess, in English. Yes, Dico, the Democratic Party is. Basically, a centrist party in the economy, it, it balances uh, out uh, market-friendly measures with social welfare measures and uh, has really managed to be the kingmaker, both when it comes to passing legislation in parliament, but also in electing presidents. Uh, so it has allied itself with DC and Akel in the past, and it's been swinging back and forth depending on who it is more dissatisfied with. It's, so it has. Uh, so this is why you can see this, the latest part of the cycle being this, its effort to elect a new president with Agel in, uh, in two years. So I guess we've mentioned the party that's per- currently ruling the executive, the Democratic Rally Party, which is center-right. We then have Dico uh, at the center as the traditional sort of kingmaker. And then you've just mentioned Akel, so Cyprus sort of stands out in Europe, uh, apart from probably Greece is the other example, uh, by the fact that the main left-wing party, which uh, is in English is called the Progressive Party of Working People, doesn't sit with the center-left S&D group in the European Parliament, but rather the left in the European Parliament. So what can you tell us about their profile in terms of how, how radical are they and what's their approach to electoral politics in Cyprus in terms of making alliances and opposing uh, the democratic rally? Well, Akil has its roots in the pre-independence period when uh, the Communist Party of Cyprus was created, outlawed by the British administration, and then came back into uh, into politics after independence. It really has as its basis and its, in its program the name of uh, communist Marxist-Leninist. 
but in practice it's really a central left party with progressive leftist politics but because of this background and this historical um this historical affinity it still sits with the left it's in a way it's very similar to syriza as you as you mentioned but it's also due to the fact that it has been the second party for a lot of years and it also got the first place in in elections in the past is really a ruling dominant party so we've now talked about three parties that are the three big parties in the cypriot party system but like many other countries in europe cypriot um politics has gone through a process of fragmentation uh, maybe a bit later per, uh, actually than a lot of other countries and there are now around eight parties if i'm correct that are realistically vying for seats in these upcoming elections so i guess we've already touched on it indirectly but are there very set alliances in the cypriot parliament in terms of who votes for or against the budget or do the parties more go into election cycles independently and then negotiate afterwards so if you're uh, a voter in cyprus and say for example you're very much right wing do you have a a list of parties you can vote for that you know will support the president in this current scenario or is it more is it messier than that uh it's much messier than that it really depends on your uh, on your political background and what you would uh, support the way it turns out afterwards is that you basically have the three four big parties making the the kernel if you want of the alliances and then gaining the other small parties uh, along the way tweaking legislation to get that extra vote uh so it's much messier and it really depends on the issue uh so for example you might have eight parties in but uh, in the next election one of the uh predictions I'm, that I'm looking at now of seats basically has this year like you're getting around 15 to 17 seats and Diko being a 7 to 9 then it becomes a much more fragmented field you have Elam the far right party Edek the socialists and the greens being predicted to get about for each give or take depending on how things turn out and then you might have another two or three parties with one or two MPs at the most so you can see that this really makes things fluid when it comes to alliance building and putting uh putting a proper majority together and also there's a phenomenon that you probably see in other parliaments as well you might see uh MPs breaking off from their parties to join another one Uh, that's strengthening it it's not easy to just say i'll vote one of these three parties because i know they'll support the president and the government in its in its approach though there is some element of that it cannot be as clear cut as that so we'll get back to polling and i guess sort of the the run up to the vote next sunday um, in a minute but first i thought we should discuss the campaign that if i'm correct sort of um is wrapping up as we speak sort of for a quiet period ahead of the actual vote naturally the long standing dispute between greek and turkish cypriots tend to be a dominant issue in in cyprus but um obviously there are also other policy discussions and other events to be campaigning around so what would you say have been the biggest questions in this campaign that are looking like they will have an impact on the results without putting them in order of importance because that's subjective and there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of polls trying to make that 
decision which one is more important than that. So in no particular order, uh, I would start say from the service problem since you mentioned it. That's an issue that right now there's a lot of disappointment because things are not working out in negotiations. Different parties and different people blame the government or uh, or Turkey, but a lot of people tend to blame the government now. And it's been a factor that has led traditional DC voters looking for another option. So a lot of them have gone to the Greens. There are some uh, leaks uh, towards um, towards Alam, obviously, the far-right party, and there's towards the goods and uh, people that are much more pro-solution might even turn uh, more to I get right now because it's been consistent in what it's saying on this issue for the past, at least for the past uh, 10 years. The other issue though, that's probably much more important right now. So obviously the pandemic and the, and the way that the government has uh, handled the pandemic has been seen mostly as positive by most people. Uh, the opposition hasn't been able really to, to strike the government on that because more or less the handling has been okay and uh cyprus is currently ending its its uh lockdown measures and uh, opening up again since cases have been really being reduced the other big issue is corruption and the complete uh disappointment of people on the whole of the political system so uh you'll see in the polls that uh the Sinagel are really lower than they usually would have been in absolute numbers and there's a huge amount of undecided uh, undecided voters or voters that say that they will not vote. That amount has been going up from 10 to 15 to even more and we're not even sure uh, how it's going to end up. So there's some uncertainty on how this disappointment in the political system will affect the elections. Will it end up with a huge amount of abstention or will all of these people go to perceived anti-systemic votes? I guess that leads us um, quite nicely into um, what we love at EuropeLex, which is polling and trying to predict the outcome of elections. We all know that can be tricky, but sometimes we do get it right. So as you say, traditionally, DC and Akel will have a very large chunk of the vote and the support in Cyprus. I believe in 2016, the two of them together got around 55, a bit more than that percent of the vote. As you say, it looks like they're both going to perform quite poorly. Do you think it's even possible that the two of them together get less than 50% this time? And has that happened before? If you count the vote without the people that that have abstained, they have been getting less than 50% for a while now. Now, when it comes to the final result, of course, after... Uh, without taking into account the uh, the undecided and the people that do not vote, they seem to be getting about 50% put together again, uh, like last time. So that doesn't really change. Uh, because of abstention, the two parties really still rule the roost. It's not expected to change, at least in this election. If the three main parties that we've mentioned are all... Uh, looking to perform, if not disastrously, at least worse than last time, um, what parties are going to be the main beneficiaries? So this is where the interesting things lie, the changes. I mean, this election has been characterized as a kind of a boring election, but we'll see interesting trends in these little parties, like you said. So to recap, we have this United probably in the first place with a bit less, but still getting first place. Vigo will maintain its percentage more or less. And then you have a sort of a battle royale for fourth place. 
between uh, EVEC, which is traditionally in the fourth place, and is the Socialist Party, uh, between the Greens, which have also been uh, boosted in the past few in the past few months, and Elam, the far right party, which is directly tied to Golden Dawn in Greece, even though it has tried to separate itself from that uh, history since then. So, to the question, who has been benefiting from uh, the disappointment in the system and from the losses of the other parties? It would be mainly Elam and the Greens. Elam obviously takes more from the center right, and the Greens would take from the center right and the left, but also from the undecided. So it's really not clear who is going to be in the fourth place uh, among these three parties, and that's what an interesting thing to watch. Now, the disappointed and the undecided from the past have also started moving towards some other smaller different parties that might enter the, enter the parliament. Uh, one of them is the one that's been a favorite of the Twitter people following Europe Alex. They keep asking about it, Annex or Annex Artity, which has changed its names to Aleigenias or Change of Generation. They might get one MP, and the other small party that might make it in with one or two MPs is DIPA which is a party that broke up from Vico during one of the civil wars that often happen in this party. Now, Vipa is has become a member of Renew, so that would be interesting to see if we finally get a Renew uh, associated party, a directly Renew associated party uh, in parliament this time around. There was one before, but that's a different story. And, and the other issues and the other thing, the final thing that it would be interesting to see how it goes is this new movement called Famabusta for Cyprus, which came out of nowhere and might be getting about 2%. It might not make it into the parliament, but it will be an interesting experiment because it focuses exclusively on the Cyprus problem, putting in its positions also issues of corruption in the environment and is for the first time a party that says it's open to cooperations with Turkish Cypriot parties. But that's a whole different story. It's not likely to play a big role in this election, but it might be something to watch for in the future. Yes, and we should clarify that Diko that we've obviously described um, as kingmaker and a centrist party, and it actually sits um, in the European Parliament with S&D, whereas then DIPA, as you said, has broken out and uh, decided to join the Liberal Party group. This is one of the many explanations that you have to make on the Cypriot political system, because we have two parties in, in S&D, the socialist and one that is not really socialist, but centrist to central left. Thank you, Yorgos, for uh, this crash course in Cypriot politics. I found it to be very useful, and I hope the listeners um, have as well. Obviously, during our next episode, we'll be able to go through the results and make some conclusions as to how it might influence the upcoming presidential elections in a few years' time. So yeah, thank you for coming on, and hopefully you can you can come back at some point and, and expand on these topics. Thank you. Looking forward for the results. Thank you for listening to the EuropeLex podcast. To stay up to date with European politics, make sure you subscribe. And of course, follow us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, Telegram, and YouTube. We're spreading across as many platforms as we can. Uh, you can find us at EuropeLex.eu and at EuropeLex across all social media, except Instagram, where we're at, at Europe underscore Lex. See you next time. You've been listening to the EuropeLex podcast, hosted by me, Ewan Healy, and my colleague, Gabriel Hedengren. The managing editor was Polychronus Karampalas. 
The script was written by our hosts and our writing team, Matthew Nicholson, Yorgos Kokoris, Guim Ferreira de Senda, and Yanis Arshakian. The music was by Jose Alvarado, and everything we do is possible because of our patrons on Patreon. Cool. Cool.